Hi, my name is Kat. The Old Testament reading is found in Isaiah 9, 1 through 3, and 6. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Sarah. The New Testament reading is found in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Because all the fullness of God was pleased to live in him, and he reconciled all things to himself through him, whether things on earth or in the heavens, he brought peace through the blood of his cross. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Tom. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in Luke 2, verses 10 through 14. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Let's remain standing as we pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us. As we listen to it today, God, would you come by your Holy Spirit and cause us to hear this good news today and let it produce in us a great joy. We thank you for it and we pray these things in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see all of you today. My name is Glenn Packiam. I get to serve here as the pastor at New Life downtown. We are in a series um, during these Sundays of Advent on the songs that are recorded in Luke's gospel. And so two of the four gospels have birth narratives. They tell us the story of Jesus's arrival and Jesus's birth. And Luke is one that is filled with songs. There's songs that are, are throughout the first and second chapters of Luke's gospel. And so we've covered two of them. And then uh, this morning, we're going to look at the song of the angels. And I just wanted to show this to you. This is a beautiful piece of art commissioned uh, by the church uh, th that a New Life downtown artist uh, made. Isn't this gorgeous? And it says on it in a very artistic way, it says, glory to God in the highest. I know you can't read that. It's not because you need glasses. It's just that it's artful. And, uh, and then there are, there are angels and shepherds here as well in a very beautifully uh, abstract and artful way. So, so this is a, a wonderful piece of art to kind of inspire us as we think about the song this morning. Uh, we've also had postcards kind of made to to, to um, make it available to, to you to uh, share this 
beautiful piece with others as well. But as I was thinking about that this week, you know, this, this song, this scene is maybe the most dramatic of all the songs because we had Mary's song, which happens in this sort of private moment, and then you have Zachariah's song, which also seems to be kind of in an intimate uh, gathering of, of family and all of that. And now the angel song, this is a spectacular one. This is the one where Luke wants us to kind of imagine a scene where the heavens themselves light up and it seems like the clouds part and, oh, you know, they're singing. I mean, this is exactly that sort of moment that we imagine in the movies. And I don't know if you've ever experienced anything in life that has been just so epic, you just wanted to break out into a song, you know, like the deep sort of Mary Poppins in you or uh, whatever. You just wanted to just start bursting out into song. I remember we were in a 15-passenger van, um, about maybe 15 college students one summer, and we were driving around playing at different churches, uh, doing some, some conferences and leading worship at it. I was, I don't know, 19 or 20, and, uh, uh, but old enough to know that I was not the one to, who should be behind the wheel of the 15-passenger van, always let someone else drive. But I, it was always my role to kind of keep the driver awake and keep them engaged. And so I remember sitting, not quite in the passenger seat, but actually like in the little like console floor part because you know whatever it's it's we were driving through the night and I think we were driving somewhere uh, around Utah I mean I'm not exactly sure we were going from Oklahoma and we were trying to get to the west coast so I imagine we were somewhere in Utah and and we had driven through the night and most everyone else in the van was asleep and it was the wee hours of of the morning and the sun was just starting to rise and I don't know exactly where we were but we it was beautiful outside like the sun was rising and it was shining on these rock formations and mountains and and then to make it even better in the CD player because that's what you did in the 90s you had a CD player uh, in the CD player was the Braveheart soundtrack <laughs> now some of y'all you know you're you're some of you are just not quite old enough to know that the Braveheart soundtrack was the most epic soundtrack before the Titanic soundtrack came along <laughs> I mean, minus Celine Dion, this was the most epic soundtrack. So, so in this moment, you imagine the sun is rising, the scenery outside is just absolutely breathtaking, and then you have this Scottish uh, soundtrack blaring through, or just actually quietly playing. And I wanted to sort of hum along, sing along. I wanted to wake the whole van and say, Behold the glory of the Lord. There's sometimes there are these moments that just fill you with so much awe and wonder and joy that you can't help but sing. Maybe in life, actually, the opposite is more a common experience where there is no joy and therefore there is no song. And maybe very often when we find ourselves in church, that peculiar group of people who always want to sing that strange gathering of people who stand up and sing, maybe it's in those moments that you notice it most profoundly and you say, I don't want to sing because I don't really have anything to sing about. I don't really have joy. And maybe you're here this morning and it, it's, it's easy to look at the world around you that wants us to be festive and wants us to celebrate. And even in church, this is that third Sunday of Advent where the word is joy. And you're saying, you know what, though? I do feel like I've lost my song because I've lost my joy. And that deep down, I'm not sure I can sing right now. I wonder if we could press a little bit deeper and Maybe if you were to fill in the blank, you would say, actually, if I just had 
blank, I would have joy. If I had this, then I would have joy, and then I would have a song. And maybe you, you could fill in the blank in a particular way, and it's about a situation in the family, or, or, or a relational conflict, or a financial situation, or a physical situation. So if I had blank, then I would have joy. One of the benefits of doing a series on these original nativity stories in the Gospels is you actually get to realize the nativity stories take place in a very dark world. That these original stories of Jesus' birth are not full of sugar and spice and candy canes and frosted window panes. The original stories are heavy. And they come to a people who've been oppressed and they come to a people who have been living under the cover of darkness. And it's against the backdrop of the darkness that, it, that makes the light shine so brightly. And it's in, the, it's in the bleakness of the situation that a song becomes even more spectacular. Because it's not as if, oh, the circumstances just naturally were building this way and history was sort of inevitably progressing until this, this perfect zenith of, oh, of course, wonderful progress, we've done it. Instead, what's happening in these stories is the darkest of night has occurred. Hope is all but lost and then God shows up. And then God bursts into the scene. And so, a song. We're here in this season of Advent, and we've called this series Songs of Expectation because Advent is about preparation and about expectation. It's about preparing our hearts for the coming again of the Lord, for the coming again of Christ. And so we're repenting and we're saying, God, use us. God, make us pure before you. But it's also expectation where we can say, okay, God, you gave us a glimpse into what you would do when you're king. And I know you've already become king, but would you just go ahead and make it all like your kingdom right now? Would you just make it? We sang it this morning. Our Father in heaven, let your kingdom come quickly. That's what we're saying. Come on, Lord. That's what Advent is about. Our text this morning is in Luke chapter 2, and we'll begin in verse 8, and it says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Somebody say, good news, good news. of great joy. This is the song of the angels. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising appeared. Praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So one angel comes announcing a message, good news of great joy, and then a choir appears and starts singing, and we call this the Gloria. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. I want to work through this song backwards. This particular phrase, verse 14, I want to work through it backwards. I want to start with the end the ending of this song, and then work our way to peace, and then end with glory. In the Common English translation, 
It gives us a little glimpse into how this is phrased. Now, maybe some of you actually heard the phrase as peace on earth, right? And goodwill to men, which is, of course, older English translations meant to address all of humanity. But we kind of hear this phrase, and we're like, it's glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, right? Or peace on earth and goodwill to men. But actually, the translation doesn't say just generically peace on earth. It says glory to God in heaven and on earth, peace among those whom he favors, it's not a generic sort of like, oh, let there just be peace on earth for everyone. The angels begin by saying, peace among those whom he favors. Now, right now, you're getting a little bit worried. <laughs> because peace on earth sounds like good news, but peace to the ones God favors sounds a little bit like, wait a minute, what if I'm not it? And now you're getting flashbacks to the playground where you didn't get picked first. And you're thinking, what if God doesn't pick me? What do I have to do to get God to notice me? What do I have to do to get God to see me and to pick me? And when you think about the ones that, who seem like they have God's favor, we tend to equate favor with what the world calls success, right? And so you look at a worldly definition of success and you, you use Christian words for it and you say, oh, that must be favor. That must be blessings. So someone who is, you know, who's doing well, who is, you know, just looks the right way, who's smart and, uh, you know, good and wealthy, and you say, oh, that's the person whom God favors. Or maybe you say, well, it's nothing to do with the world's idea of success. It really is kind of the religious idea of being deserving. And so you say, well, I know who God favors. It's not necessarily the, the rich and the beautiful. Maybe who God favors are the righteous and the deserving and the worthy. And so either way, you're thinking, well, that's not me. I'm not that, and I'm not that. How is it that I can, that this is good news for me? Henry Nouwen, the, the great Catholic priest who gave the better years of his life to work with a, a community of, of disabled people, Nouwen said, when you, when you do not see yourself as a favored one, Suffering becomes confirmation of your rejectedness. You begin to have this narrative and you say, well, I'm already not the favored one. Then something bad happens. Then, a su then suffering happens and then a bad news arrives. And then you say, well, this is just proof that I'm rejected by God. This is just one more evidence that I don't belong. But when you look more closely at this story, you recognize something. If these angels are not announcing good news of great joy to the rich and the powerful. They're not announcing this at Herod's palace. Some of the other gospel writers give us a glimpse into the kind of parties Herod threw. These shepherds were not on that guest list. These were not the who's who's and the movers of the shakers of a first century Jerusalem. These are people who work kind of in a roving way and they, they moved around and took care of stuff. It, it's possible they were connected with the, 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 um, the, the, the lambs that were needed for sacrifice, for Passover, for the temple. It's possible they were connected to the temple. Either way, these were people who were doing work with their hands and moving around, not exactly the ones that society said, okay, if there's gonna be God's favor being announced, it would be to that, those people. It wouldn't be to them. They were sort of on the outskirts, even as their job took them to the outskirts of the city. And Luke, if you've read Luke's gospel, 
I would encourage you to read it again with, the, with this lens. Pay attention to how often Luke is bringing good news to the outsider and the marginalized. Over and over again, Luke wants us to see Jesus moving into Samaria, Jesus healing the leper, Jesus calling to people that are on the fringes of society. And Luke has this kind of program in his storytelling, his sort of agenda in his storytelling to say to us, look, there's good news arriving to the people that don't seem like they deserve it. In fact, when Luke records Jesus' beatitudes, the blesseds are, right? Math, Luke does it a little differently. Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit, and it sounds so wonderful and, and beautiful and religious and spiritual. Luke says, blessed are the poor. Just, just drops it. Just blessed are the poor. Matthew says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Oh, you're like, oh, we can spiritualize that. Luke says, blessed are the hungry. Like, no, like literally, like the ones who don't know where dinner is coming from. Blessed are the hungry. Why is Luke doing this? Because he wants us to know that God's good news is coming to the unlikely and the unlucky and the undeserving. God's favor is coming to the people that you would least expect. God's favor, God's smile, God's delight, God's blessing is coming to the unlikely and the unlucky and the undeserving. This is how radical the good news of grace is. That God would give a gift to the unworthy. That God would send his son for sinners. That God would die. That later on Paul would say, hardly for a righteous person would we die. Yet while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. This is the incredible inequity of God's grace. But we struggle to believe this, don't we? Because we have Santa Claus in our minds. I don't know if you ever, as a kid, or maybe now as a parent, you take your kids to go see Santa, I think all of that's fun and good stuff. Unless, unless Santa says that hideous phrase, have you been a good little boy this year? Have you been a good little girl this year? I mean, don't you just want to say, no, Santa, I haven't, and actually neither have you. Like, let's be honest, you're not doing so hot yourself. And then, and then don't you wish you could go on and just say, and Santa, by the way, that's not how gifts work. You don't give gifts to people because they're good. You give gifts to people because they're loved. We give gifts to people because we love them. We don't say, hey, I got something for you, but are you doing a good job here? Okay, well then here you go. That's not a gift. There's another word for that. It's called a wage. <laughs> you don't get your paycheck from your boss with a nice red ribbon. I got something for you. You're like, that's my salary, dummy. I earned that. Don't say dummy. Don't call your boss a dummy. That's, I don't recommend that. Right? But the Bible says, you want a wage? The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. See, good news, favor comes to the undeserving. The gift of God comes to the unworthy. It's precisely because we don't deserve it that makes this gift good news. Amen? Amen. And this gift is meant to say to us, this is a gift not because you deserve it, Santa. This gift is good news because you're loved. It means you're loved. The favor of God has come to the unlikely, the unlucky, and the undeserving. God loves you. 
here's the greatest gift of all. And then as the story goes on, we want to ask ourselves the next word in that sequence. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Let there be peace among the ones he favors. We've talked about the ones he's favored. Now let's talk about peace. This word peace has a couple, would have had a couple different resonances for uh, the people who, who heard Luke's gospel. There was, of course, a Roman sense of peace. Uh, Octavian had won this great battle a couple decades before the birth of Jesus, and he, he gave himself the name Augustus, which is Latin for the great one. I mean, try that at work on Monday morning. You know, your boss says you did a good job. You say, thank you. From now on, I'm going to be called the great one. You know, Octavian wins a battle and says, everybody, I'm changing my name. Call me the great one. You know, okay, great, fine. Augustus, and he ushers in what came to later be called the Pax Romana. First, the Pax Augustus, the, the peace of Augustus, but it would last so long that retrospectively we now call it the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, because wow, this was an era of peace. But Augustus, being at the beginning of it, not only did he change his name to be the great one, he also announced this propaganda that I have ushered in peace, harmony, the end of war. But it was a false peace. Because when you looked closely, Roman oppression was still alive and well. The empire was being built on the backs of slaves, Jewish slaves among them. And so you look close and you're like, that is a lie. Peace? That's not peace. That's exploitation. That's not good. Who is it good news for? It's good news for the wealthy. It's good news for the power. It's good news for the corrupt. It's not good news, really. It's a false peace. And the angels come, and they're basically singing a political track. They're basically singing a counter-political claim and saying, no, 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 born this day is a king, the real king. And the news of his birth in the city of David, by the way, the news of his birth will bring a true and deep peace. Now, when we, when we want to understand what a true and deep peace is, now we need to set aside our Roman lens and pick up the Hebrew Jewish lens. The Hebrew word for peace in the Old Testament is shalom. And it's not simply the idea of the absence of war. The Hebrew idea of shalom is the sense of everything being put back together. In fact, you might even say it's about the world coming together and coming alive. Sometimes people describe it as flourishing, as the world flourishing the way it was meant to flourish, everything in its proper place flourishing as it was designed to be. And so when the angels say, listen, the good news of Jesus' lordship is that peace, shalom, is coming. Verse 10, the angel said, don't be afraid. Look, I bring you good news to you, wonderful, joyous news for all people. Your Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ the Lord. There's another title that was used for Caesar, the Lord, the Kyrios. And the angels are saying, yeah, he's not really the Lord, but Jesus is. And that's not really peace, but this is. And Jesus brings a deep and true peace. In order for this to be good news, though, we have to be willing to admit that we need this kind of peace, that we ourselves are out of joint. It's easy to kind of point out there, isn't it, and say, oh, the world is a mess. 
our country's a mess. It's so divided, so messed up, so da 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 So as far as that's all true, but so are you. <laughs> You're a mess too. You're out of joint. Your life is out of alignment. One of the great temptations of our age is to numb that feeling of being out of joint. You know, physically, when you, when you have a joint out of place, it creates a fair amount of pain, and so that we do need, you know, sometimes help painkillers and all that stuff to help with that. That, 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 that is often very necessary. I've had back issues, I, I get that. But when it comes to our soul, and when there's a nagging feeling in our soul that we are off, something's off, I'm out of alignment. The very worst thing we can do is to try to numb that and medicate that or distract ourselves from that and to say, no, 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 I feel fine, I feel fine, I feel fine. Because here's the thing about our soul and how our sensations and emotions and feelings work is as it turns out, you can't actually selectively numb. So when you try to numb this part, you actually numb the whole thing. And so in trying to get away of, from the ache, you've actually cut off the possibility of joy. And so you say, well, I don't want to feel this ache of being out of joint. I don't want to feel the sorrow and the sadness. So okay, great, well, if you, but, you, but you can't selectively numb. So as you numb, you've now cut off the possibility of joy. Now, I'm not talking about the good and proper and right medical counselor uses of things that help us make it through very difficult times. I, 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 please know, we believe in that as a church. What I am talking about is the, the ways that we sometimes try to escape from the sense that we need a deep and lasting peace. And the ways we say, I, I, I just want to get away from that. And we can distract ourselves. Look, there's all forms of numbing ourselves. The most common one is this one. Netflix. It's just over and over again, or Facebook. Let's just numb it. Let's just forget. I don't want to even think about it. I'm just to distract myself from it. And maybe this, the angels would say to us this morning, I know you feel out of joint. I know you feel like something's off. But God has come to bring a peace that can begin with you. God has come to bring a peace that can begin in your own heart. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians. We heard this during our series and during our reading this morning again. Because all the fullness of God was pleased to live in him and he reconciled all things to himself through him. That's that coming together. Whether things on earth or in the heavens, he brought peace through the blood of his cross. Paul will say in Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been made righteous through his faithfulness, combined with our faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace doesn't start out there. It starts with the favored ones. Okay, you're the favored one? Great. Then let God's peace put you back together again. See, this is what peace is. Peace is God, is Jesus putting you back together again. And it doesn't start with saying, oh, look at that, oh, look at him, or look at her, or look at that situation, or this thing, or that thing, or that. It starts with God saying, I love you. You're my favorite. I, I delight in you. Let me put you back together again. Let me reach deep inside. And, and, and maybe for some of you, it begins with putting you back in right relationship with God again. 
that you've been running for a long time trying to ignore this stuff. I don't know about this religion stuff. I don't know about this Jesus stuff. I don't know about this church stuff. I know it's Christmas and I got to endure this and this and this when I go with my family to church and blah, 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 blah. But, But what if all of the running and all of the numbing can end today and that the peace of God could finally take root in your heart and put you back together again. This is the good news of great joy. That God has favor on you. That God's peace has come to you. And you know what the result is? When you see that, when you see working backwards through that song that you're the ones whom God favors, that peace has arrived for you, that putting back together of your life You know what then results? A song. A song of joy that says, oh, glory to God. I didn't see that coming. I couldn't have imagined that. I couldn't have written the story in that way. Praise is actually the completion of joy. Praise is where joy was going all along. C.S. Lewis Decades ago wrote this in his short little book, Reflections on the Psalms. and He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy. Because the praise not merely expresses, but actually completes the enjoyment. Think about that for a moment. Praise is not just you saying, oh, I do love this. Your joy is not complete until it turns into praise. That's what Lewis is saying. It is its appointed consummation. That's where joy is supposed to end. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. Just remember that when my book comes out next year. Okay, (laughs) just kidding. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur like my Utah story. And then to have to keep silent because everyone in the van is asleep. Because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and to find no one to share it with, that's the worst. <laughs> I, I love it with our kids. You see with our kids, our six-year-old, they, you know, they just heard the, a new knock-knock joke. They got to tell us. And then they got to tell each person again, even though we're all in the room, like we all already heard it the first time. <laughs> no, I got to tell you. It's just our instinct. The Scottish Catechism says that, the man, that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. These are the same thing. And when you enjoy God, you do end up glorifying him. When you find your joy in God, you end up praising him. God is glorified by our joy in him. God is glorified by our joy in him. And so the angels know it. I mean, I imagine these angels have been hanging around the the Godhead in the heavens and they're, they're sort of saying, we know this is about to happen. Here we go. And then when Jesus arrives, they're like, it's on. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. And they're like, can we go now? Can we go? And the father's like, go. And then they go and they're so excited. They startle the shepherds, you know. The shepherds are like so afraid. And the angel's like, don't be afraid. And the shepherd's like, well, stop scaring us. Like we just can't contain it. Great joy, glory to God in the highest. When you catch how good the good news is, it actually turns in you into a messenger. It actually turns you into, see the good news makes messengers of us all. 
The good news makes messengers of the, the, the Greek word for angels, it's great. I mean, there's this sense of, of them, of course, being heavenly beings and all this stuff. But at its basic sense, the word for angels means a messenger. Someone who has something to announce. Someone who has something to proclaim. Hey, that's us. That's each and every one of us. You've got good news to proclaim. You've got a message of great joy to share with someone. Look, the whole reason why we're talking about giving for the sake of the city and, and being generous, all this stuff, it's not just because, oh, well, it's a good time, end of the year giving and whatnot. Sure, sure, sure. But, but the other part of it is, is this is that season where we, we remember the good news of great joy. Why should we not become messengers of that joy to others? Wouldn't it be good news to bless the Springs Rescue Mission? Wouldn't it be good news to bless Mary's home? Wouldn't it be good news to help launch a new congregation in the east end of the city? Why? For church growth strategies? No, so that the good news of great joy can arrive to new people in our day and in our city. That's why we do this. And of course, it looks, it looks like every other little conversation. Over the next couple of weeks, you might have friends and family around. You might have neighbors uh, by. You might have coworkers around. This isn't the invitation to be heavy-handed and angry and upset about the war on Christmas. The war on Christmas. This is that time to say, I've, I've got good news of great joy. God has unexpectedly shown his love on the unlikeliest of people. I don't deserve that. Who am I? What? You think I'm a good person? I don't deserve this. He came to me. He brought me the gift of his son because he loves me. He's bringing his peace. He's putting me back together again. Look, I'm not saying you're a mess. I'm just saying I'm a mess and I need his peace. And he's already started to put my life back together. And I just, I want that for you. So glory to God in the highest. Amen, amen, amen.